She uh, she really does. She looks like okay. So in the roller derby community, um, we wear booty shorts when we skate, and there's actually a brand called Derby Skins, and I swear to God, they almost remind me of Derby Skins shorts, almost. Welcome back to GC8. I'm Eric. I'm Rosie. And I'm Johanna. We watch older movies on a regular basis with my boyfriend's mom. Uh, we have movie nights with mom. We spend time with her and sometimes his uncles come over. So it's always a big challenge to, you know, find a movie that, you know, would work well. Um, so we've watched a lot of movies like Blazing Saddles. Clue was a great one. That one was a hit with everybody. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of uh, the most recent one that we watched that was hit. We were all, oh, oh, brother, where art thou? That one went over really well with his uncles because they're more into like comedy, but they don't want it to be too dirty. But, you know, but they like comedy and they did like a fish called Wanda. That was a good one, too. That's such a yeah, such a great movie. So that's what we've been up to. And also we devoured the series clickbait. My boyfriend and I did. Wow, if you get a chance to see that, every time you think you have it figured out, they throw in another twist. It's really a great series. My son is a big fan of the TV show Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and (laughs) Brooklyn Nine-Nine is full of references to classic action movies, cop movies, things like that. So one of the latest episodes referenced Speed, which my son hadn't seen. Of course, that meant we had to watch it immediately, and he gave it a 9 out of 10. He he absolutely loved it, and I had forgotten how great Dennis Hopper is as the villain. Just, you know, really sadistic. Now I want to go watch Blue Velvet, of course, and just do the whole Dennis Hopper experience. But uh, anyway, it was fun revisiting Speed. Oh, I love Blue Velvet. I love <laughs> Blue Velvet. I love... Any movie done by David Lynch, I don't care how weird it is, I will sit through it all. Yeah, I I have fond memories of the first time seeing Blue Velvet in the theater, and it was amazing. But I have older, one older and one newer thing that I've been watching. So what I watched that is a little older is The Watch. I don't do many comedies. And The Watch, it has like Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn, Jonah Hill, and Richard Ayoade, who I said would make a great cue. Um, And it is exactly the bro comedy you expect it is going to be with that cast. And like all it needed was like Owen Wilson to complete it, you know, and then it would be the, you know, the perfect five um, of that. I am not a fan of comedies. I'm especially not a fan of this kind of comedy, but the one thing that it has going for it is it's a sci-fi thing. They're like a neighborhood watch that has to deal with alien alien invasion and it just proves that in true geek channel 8 fashion i will watch anything just about like it gets like an extra half star if there's a sci-fi element like if it didn't have the sci-fi element then forget it i wouldn't have watched it you know Mm -hmm. but speaking of bros the other thing i've been watching is hbo's reality show f boy island (laughs) what what Oh, yes. well, I have our guilty yeah. pleasures now. Okay, okay. now, 
I don't. Or mine is the circle. <laughs> so, as some of you might know, I used to work in reality TV. So, not only do I not enjoy reality TV and think it's a vast wasteland to begin with, but having worked for a decade in reality TV, I know how manufactured it is, and I can almost watch any reality show and know what happened behind the scenes in that episode from having worked on so many of them. <laughs> so I don't know. It accidentally started playing when I opened HBO Go at one point. And so then I was like, okay, I'll see what this is. All right. And, um, and it is horrible. It is the most vapid thing. It's like, it, it makes Jersey Shore look great. You know, it's like, it is and I keep expecting it to be like the office where like they know where it's like a deadpan comedy, like spoof of reality TV, but it's not. And, you know, it's just, I'm like halfway through it. And so now I'm going to actually watch it to the end, but the only way it could end good is if like, I don't know, Marxist militants land on the island and like take them all hostage and like you know it is so and then bad. it turns into locked up abroad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Those who don't know the the premise is there are three women and they it's like the bachelor or bachelorette type thing and then there's a whole bunch of guys that are either f boys or nice guys. They all seem pretty douchey to me, either side of that coin. It's like, I can't tell them apart either, you know? So, um, and, and the women are no prize either. They're like, like so shallow. And like, I think one is like an Instagram model and an influencer, like the two bottom rungs like of, of humanity, you know, like, so <laughs> this is why I'm glad I don't have to even dip my toes in the dating bowl anymore. Okay, but here's the real question. Eric, what is the food slash beverage you pair with that viewing experience? That is what I really want to know. Protein right. shakes. <laughs> like, seriously. And like, yeah, it's they're all like muscular and like, first of all, I can diss the show all I want because no one, none of our audience would you know, be allowed within a hundred miles of this island. But they're like all like like super muscular and and like oiled, spray tanned and oiled. So I don't know how you manage to do both, but you know, and then like uh so the only sort of saving grace is the hostess Nikki Glasser, who is like a millennial they're all like gen z and she's like a millennial and she's she she's a pretty decent comedian i can't talk too much smack about her because she's from cincinnati and cincinnati is like the world's biggest small town so i'm no from there doubt. and rosie's from there and so there's yep. the chance that we know some we have a mutual friend in common with nikki is like almost a hundred percent oh yeah and, and and then on top of that, she's a fellow podcaster who's been podcasting for a long time. And we don't really diss any other podcasters on this show, except no. maybe Joe Rogan. Because <laughs> he's a conspiracy theorist and also um, excuse me. I like to call him Joe Brogan. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. So he's fair game because he's got the number one podcast in the world. And also he's uh, you know, and another reality show host, uh, but Nikki's almost tolerable. She, but she's in it for like five minutes at a time here and there at the most. And if I could talk to her, I'd be like, you know, this is really not great for your career. Your, your talent is wasted on this show. 
<laughs> anyway. I think her, just like everybody else on the show, is probably just in it for the money anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they do get to stay on some tropical island, which That's... obviously is not like in the middle of nowhere because there's electricity and like they're staying in these great posh villas. But enough about F Boy Island. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just still laughing, imagining you sitting on the couch, drinking a protein shake, watching F Boy Island, thinking like, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> I figured you'd get a kick out of that. But oh my gosh, yeah. I want to get into what we're here to talk about today, which is we did like Nat's favorite show and, you know, and we did some of the rest of yours. I want to do one of mine. So today we have like a genetically modified Terran quadruped, a bunch of space bounty hunters, one's the muscle, one's wisecracking. Are we doing Guardians of the Galaxy? No, we are not. It predates that. It even predates Firefly. We are doing the one and only Cowboy Bebop. We were going to do anime sooner or later, no matter what. And I know Johanna wanted to do Death Note, but I wanted to do my favorite anime, <laughs> which is Cowboy Bebop. A little background on the year. Do we yep. have that? I have background on the year. The year 1997, that was the year the show was basically in production. And <clears throat> so it didn't start off too well because they did have an oil spill in the sea of uh, Japan. Thanks to the Russians, that wasn't great. But also that year, the Osaka Dome was built. <clears throat> they raised taxes on the poor Japanese uh, from 3% to 5%. The consumption tax, that couldn't have been fun. Princess Mononoke, uh, an anime film by Hayao, Hayao Miyazaki. Thank you very much. That was released in July of 1997. Um, in October, the high-speed rail between Takasaki and Nagano opened, which was just in time for the Olympics that was going to happen in 1998. They had the Olympics and the Paralympics in 98, so they were kind of getting ready for that. The Toyota Bay Aqualine was also opened. Uh, that year to get ready for the um, 1998 Olympics. And then let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, and uh, one final thing in entertainment related news <laughs> the Pokemon episode uh, Deno Samshi Porygon was released and it induced seizures in hundreds of Japanese children. I thought that was kind of crazy. And that was also the year uh, the first Toyota Prius rolled off the line which paved the way for thousands and thousands of jokes in American culture. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thinking back to 1997, 98, it probably won't surprise you that this TV show was originally developed as an excuse to sell toys. Uh, so the series premiered in Japan in 1998, broadcasting only 12 episodes and a special due to its controversial adult-themed content. As you can guess, the original plan for this show was not to be an adult-friendly, really intellectual, high-violence TV show. It was originally designed to have cool spaceships and, like, action figures, but director Watanabe was a you know, in development, and it became clear that his vision for the show was not going to jive with Bandai's toy division. So they had to pivot and find a new sponsor while they were mid-production, and Bandai Visual, a sister company, stepped in to make it happen. 
The animation studio responsible for this masterpiece is Sunrise Studio, aka Nippon Sunrise, aka now Sunrise Inc., which was founded in 1972 and is highly respected within the anime fan community, uh, drawing a phrase called Sunrise Smooth to describe other series that have the same kind of style, this slick visual. Most of Sunrise's original titles are created in-house by their creative staff under one collective pseudonym, Hajime Yatati. And the particular character designer responsible for the show, Toshihiro Kawamoto, interesting thing about him, he was first employed in making and designing precision machinery before eventually going to a more artistic design school to work on his career in animation. So, as you're looking at the spaceships and the gadgets and things like that, keep in mind one of the main illustrators, animators, uh, has a background in machinery. Other note about the animation, it's said that the characters vaguely resemble the characters from Lupin 3, uh, which is a fun uh, heist TV show based upon uh, French uh, novels, uh, Maurice Le LeBlanc's novels which have now also been adapted into a French series on Netflix. And the last note on the animation, the characters are all somewhat loosely based on Kawamoto, either emphasizing characteristics that he himself has or the exact opposite. It's kind of an interesting reference point. And they were all designed to be outlaws in society. Every last character. <laughs> In, in this universe is a misfit of some sort. And that really comes out in the animation. We're looking at a neo-noir, Western, sci-fi genre blend, which we will get into more in our reactions. But in the meantime, what do you think? Should we go for a snack? Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Well, I wouldn't call it a snack, but we do have something to drink. Ooh. Now, I'm no Gabby, but uh, it's going to be another cocktail. The thing that, that you got to drink for this is tequila. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> um, so today I have a recipe for te uh, tequila sunrise. Get it? A tequila sunrise. Ah. All right. So you want to take a highball glass and fill it with ice. Then put in an ounce and a half of tequila, whatever brand you like. It can be clear. It can be gold, whatever color tequila you want. And then you fill the rest of the glass with orange juice. And then take a spoon and over the back of the spoon, about three quarters of an ounce of grenadine, which gives it that nice reddish color. And... Um, let that, you know, drizzle down the spoon, down the side of the glass to the bottom. 
And so you get this nice gradation that looks like a sunrise, red at the bottom, orange at the top, garnish with a maraschino cherry or an orange slice or both, and you are good to go. I also chose a cocktail for Cowboy Bebop. One, tequila makes sense in a Western, but also we drank a lot of these in the 90s. In fact, I spent a lot of the 90s a little bit buzzed. So <laughs> Same. Yeah. So the 90s was an interesting time. It felt like the end of a millennium, which it was. And I felt like just everything had been done and I wanted to see all the genres mixed together, all the genres. It's like everything. I wanted a genre blend that had everything. And then I found Cowboy Bebop and I like, I was like, this is what anime was meant to be. This is what I always wanted to see. This is it. This, I love Cowboy Bebop. I cannot stress this enough. Hilariously, I, you know, was telling friends, they were asking, oh, what's coming next on your podcast? And I said, oh yeah, we're going to do an episode on Cowboy Bebop. And it was amazing the range of people who had heard of this. My partner said that he discovered Cowboy Bebop because he was working over in Pakistan for about a year and they were huge fans of this show over in Pakistan, just like everywhere. Cowboy Bebop has had incredible reach. So it was this, I'm excited. I'm excited to dig into it with you. Well, I was a member of an anime club. So back in the nineties, it was a lot harder to get anime in the U S so you had to get bootleg tapes in a lot of cases. And so we would get them early on and they would be all in Japanese and there'd be someone in the room in these anime clubs that was fluent in Japanese. Every anime club had one. And that person would translate on the fly while the episodes were playing. That was how I first experienced it. Now, something among anime fans you hear a lot is subs, not dubs. Everybody likes the subtitled versions better. And there's, there's, it's like, it's like a religion with these people. Like, <laughs> Mac versus PC clones, Android versus iPhone, Coke versus <laughs> Pepsi, whatever. But I got to say, I have always felt as a filmmaker, it comes down to who does the better translation. And sometimes a dub can be better than a sub. Usually the subs are better, but sometimes the dubs are better. And uh, the film Das Boot comes to mind as a an example where the US dubbed version in English is probably better than the subtitled version. That's rarely the case with anime. It is the case with like, I think Pioneer did it really well with Armitage the Third, And this is one where I think a lot of people believe, myself included, that the dubbed version is better. They had the ability to really see what they were doing. And the director, who I believe is also the voice actress of Faye Valentine, they did an amazing job with it. So I highly recommend seeking out the dubbed versions. The voice acting is excellent. They match the lip flap. The translation's probably better. It's just so smooth and wonderful. I had to get the sub versus dub thing out of the way early on. Can we actually start with the opening credits before we dig into the episodes? Just because I, I feel like one of the things that this show does really well is set the tone of the show and emphasizes the music. That mm -hmm. there's this kind of like throwback to, you know, James Bond. I, I'm going to say... Thought, 
I thought we would do this whole show on Cowboy Bebop without talking about music. <laughs> no, of course we're going to talk about the music. The music is one of the most awesome things. And, well, you know, and I'm saving a whole production note section for the next episode on the composer because she is the bomb. She's just awesome. The um, music is amazing. Well, the whole show is based around music. And like I said, Rosie and I come out of the music scene. We So we're like super into the music the music is amazing so yeah it starts out with that one two three <laughs> uh, yeah yeah no it's so i think we have to talk about the opening credits because i i think it establishes that genre blend right away of you know there's sort of a james bondiness there's a little bit of a johnny questiness to to the opening titles with the really catchy music well there's also the noir like look yeah. to to things like it's it's very uh you know noir imagery in a yeah, lot of silhouettes stuff. i mean silhouettes the silhouettes and, are yeah. are very noir um so i i feel like from the opening credits you really get that sense that this is going to be a fun ride this is going to be packed full of stimulation visual musical stimulation you're getting a lot with this show um so yeah, had to say that before we jump into the actual content of Asteroid Blues, which I think also does a great job of establishing the blend and really drawing out each element, that opening title sequence is epic. I love the opening credits too, just as a high school art kid watching that, it was visually stunning. And I didn't mind watching that every episode that I watched. It was neat to see just even the different styles of drawing and the animation and everything that was mixed in with each other. It was like flipping through a comic book really fast. And it was just, oh, I loved it. And I did watch the dubbed version. Um, I watched it on uh, Hulu. They have it available on Hulu. And so I was able to watch the dub version because the ADD kicked in and I could not read subtitles to save my life. My brain was like, no, you have to pay full attention. <laughs> you well, need to, so you need, you need to hear people talking, not reading and trying to watch it at the same time. My brain was like, nope, I, you can't. Sorry. I think that's, I think that's one of the great things about a really good dub is mm -hmm. with anime, you want to see every inch of that artwork. You know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. with with a lot of like dubbed foreign film, it doesn't matter that much because that lower third of the screen, they're not, it's not really composed in mind, mm -hmm. you know, but with yeah. anime, they make full use of that screen. I tried to watch the sub versions, but it was trying to split my brain into doing too many things. And it was like, no. So I watched the dub version. I'm really glad that I did. I didn't even know that there was a whole conversation about like what was better amongst the anime community because in full disclosure, I don't know a lot about anime. I know what I watched when I was still with my friends like in their basement in the 90s on a VHS tape, but that's about as much as I know. And then I know my kids are into it, but like I didn't get as into it with them. They just kind of, that was their thing that they did and would tell me about it. And I'd be like, uh-huh, that's awesome. Great. I'm glad you're into that. <laughs> but, you know, that was like about as far as it went. But anyway, um, I, I felt like the first episode was a great introduction to the whole series, um, especially for somebody coming into it knowing nothing like me, like I usually do on a lot of the things that, that you pick out, which I think is amazing. I love this show for the simple fact that it just like opens my mind up to whole genres of things that I didn't even like consider watching. So thank you for that, Eric, for introducing us to this awesome show. <laughs> I've really gotten into it. 
Um, and uh, so, you know, it, it basically Cowboy Bebop ends up in Tijuana. And, uh, and, and um, because Asimov is wanted for uh, the illegal um, drug trade of red eye in Tijuana. So, you know, that's, that, that's the start. He runs into Asimov and Serena, who is pregnant. And uh, Asimov is classic abusive boyfriend. And uh, yeah. I got I to gotta break in there real mm-hmm. quick. It's actually not Tijuana, right? It's the, the Tijuana as- Asteroid Colony. It's the Tijuana, uh, Tijuana Asteroid, Asteroid Colony. Asteroid, thank you. And it's, it's the asteroid is called Tequila. <laughs> tequila, okay? So I had to throw that in there. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I had to throw that in there since we are no, all drinking tequila sunrises now. That's okay. right. Well, I, I think it's interesting, though, that they name it Tijuana and that it's kind of shorthanded. Like, you don't realize they're talking about an asteroid colony necessarily when that line is thrown out there. And it's mm-hmm. part of that, you know, easing you into the Western side of the genre. Each part of the genre blend was emphasized very carefully. And as the series goes on, it's harder to pull apart which aspects are from which genre. But here, I felt like the elements with... Uh, Serena as this femme fatale type who is pregnant or we think she is and then realize she's not, she's pretending and she's got the abusive boyfriend, that there's an element of that that is classic noir. But then there's, you know, they're in a saloon, there's going to be a shootout, you know, there's rival gangs like that. That is, you know, to me felt, felt very Western. And this reference to Tijuana is also something that felt like like out of a Western, you know, that what's going on in Mexico or. And you say it eases you into it, but like one of the things I really like about this whole series is that it starts off with a bang. It doesn't give you any backstory. It doesn't, you just got to accept it. You don't even get the Star Wars a long time ago in a far galaxy, far, (laughs) far away. You know, you don't even get that. It's like, you're finding out about everything as it goes. And in fact, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff about Spike that we will learn later on that is foreshadowed right from the beginning here. I just want to give a shout out to Serena for being a badass bitch. Okay. She dealt with this abusive boyfriend for so long. And then when, when she saw, saw things were going south, she's like, you're gone, dude. Boom. Gone. Is it Serena or Katerina? I'm just looking at my, my notes. Oh, you know what? I wrote Serena. It's but Katrina. Maybe I'm Katrina. Katrina. Yeah. I'm terrible, guys. Forgive me. Katrina. No, I was dealing with a handwriting issue on my end as well. Guys, <laughs> and what's funny my is- My handwriting is terrible. Look at that. That's my <laughs> handwriting. It's awful. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I felt like she was going to be established as a longtime character that we were going to see come around. And I was actually shocked when she got killed off at the end of this immediate episode, which, you know, normally we would say no spoilers, but I don't know how we're going to avoid that since each episode is kind of its own contained movie Mm -hmm. and they don't really connect with each other, but I guess I'll try to avoid it for future episodes. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the, the only way they really seem to connect from episode to episode is like the dynamics of the relationship between everybody and what their journey of the main characters and what their journeys are. And then like their rivalries in the background, but like, yeah, I, I like from episode to episode, it is definitely like a separate contained story. Well, and almost as the series goes on, rather than learning more about what's happening in the present, you learn more about what's happening in the past, which right. I definitely emphasizes some of the themes of, 
of the show that you can't escape your past this sort of loneliness like there's it's not building towards a lot in the future but more uh emphasizing that isolation the characters feel mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. i was in high school i was still watching cartoons you know i you know and, and <laughs> by cartoons i'm referring to american animation that aired on tv and there was a great show called the adventures of the galaxy rangers which was a space western type thing but because it was made for american audiences and kids it was super toned down and i always wanted to see a more adult version of that when i saw cowboy bebop that was one of the things that struck me about it another thing i was very into during when i was in high school was cyberpunk and that's sort of fallen by the wayside because cyberpunk was meant to become extinct it was a sci-fi genre about what's about to happen and when a lot of the great original cyberpunk novels and stuff were written the world wide web didn't exist yet and so there's like this global network of computers and that was like science fiction well now that's just like our daily reality and i think it's worth mentioning that the tail end of cyberpunk was still going on at the time this came out and it has a very cyberpunk flavor to it especially some of the later episodes we'll talk about but i think it's worth mentioning that the setting of this is the 21st century like the century we're in right now like toward the <laughs> yeah. end of the 21st century but yeah um but that was the future you know <laughs> in the 90s i mean it's still the future but it was like you know like maybe we could be doing interstellar traveling like on a regular basis i don't know like according to my calculations we have about 20 years to go before we're, we're where where we are where cowboy bebop set so i guess i better go find my ship and get it good and beat up on time uh, we should mention that the bebop is the name of the ship so cowboy bebop right there and and then even from the name of this series alone it tells you it's a genre mashup cowboy which i just generally associate with like the old west and open prairie and you know very like rural like pastoral stuff like that and then bebop which is mid 20th century jazz music like that's you know and it's so it was very associated with the modernist movement and urbanism stuff like that so you got urban versus rural you've got this dichotomy right there and then it's also going to be about music you know and cowboy music Western music, bebop jazz, like you've got like a dichotomy there. And boy, does the music go all over all kinds of crazy places, but it's all great. Stray Dog Strut, of course, a reference to the Stray Cats song, Stray Cat Strut. What was once just a team of two, Jet and Spike, will soon become a team of three in this, Jet, Spike, and Ein, because this one is not about a drug dealer. It is about a stray dog. <laughs> it's about pet, it's about, it's about like pet thieves. Pet thieves, yeah. That's yeah. what it is. The centerpiece of this episode is this wonderful exotic pet store run by a woman who can only be described as doing her best Jack Nicholson as the Joker impression that she could possibly do <laughs> with the purple suit and the green hair and the white makeup. It's, it was really hysterical, actually. But this, this dog, of course, is not just a dog. Uh, it's a data dog and uh, is highly valuable to, to other crooks. But the ultimate result of this episode is that it's kind of like a, a fun, playful romp. And 
I feel like this episode is where you first start to get the tastes of classic anime tropes. I in the first episode, it's a very serious, you know, highly stylized, you know, adult episode. This straight dog strut is kind of more in that playful anime style with the wide eyes and folks running away and there's like a cloud of smoke behind them and if you've watched a lot of anime you would recognize these little flourishes as being part of that larger animation genre but this episode's got it all it's got car chases it's got dogs on the run it's got uh thieves and uh hilarious you know pet store <laughs> owner character uh i thought this was just plain fun which i think one of the great things about this series is that it swings both directions you get some episodes that are very serious very dramatic and then some that are comic and supposedly the comic episodes were much harder for them to write and execute so i think this one's actually pretty well done and I like that Ein's a corgi. I think those are such cute dogs. <laughs> corgi butts drive me nuts. They're so cute. Okay. And also, I wanted to make a note. I did write a note here that the Bounty Hunter TV show, you know, that they would watch throughout the series just kind of reminded me of Hee Haw. <laughs> Johanna, have you heard of Hee Haw? I just have to know. Okay. So... This is a mine and Eric's generation kind of grew up on this, especially if our parents were from the American countryside or family. A we had family from the country, yeah. Appalachia, country music loving family members. Wait, Hee Haw was always on growing up, always on. And it and it had, um, oh my gosh, Eric, you've got to help me. Who were some of the artists that were on there on a regular basis? Do you remember? So I think Minnie Pearl was on there regularly. Minnie Pearl, yeah. Yeah, hmm. it was just like, a, it was a weird Grand, like Grand Ole Opry crossed with like uh -huh. Gilligan's Island, you know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it was like all the girls had like the plaid shirts, like tied up above the waist to show their belly and like the pushed up, you know, boobs, low cut, like, like the buttons like way down here. So you can see the girls and, and it was uh, like yeah. hillbilly <laughs> takeover TV for an hour every single night. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Starring Roy, Cl Roy Clark, Buck Owens, and Minnie Pearl. Um, I think, and yeah, I and think the many other classics. The the uh, the thing about the the little the bounty hunter TV show that it reminded me a little bit of like cops or like America's <laughs> Most Wanted. America's yeah. Most Wanted, you know, where they're America's like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, <laughs> um, I think you that, found a criminal and you were gone. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to compare this show from time to time with Max Hedrum, which was another sci-fi oh. cyberpunk show. And it used to do things like that too, where it would have like, the crazy TV show like on in the background that reminded you of something else, you know? I like how the 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 crew gets put together piece by piece. Mm -hmm. You see how how each person becomes a member or animal in this case becomes a member of the crew. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to say, did you guys catch the license plate on the dog catcher van? No. NCC seventeen oh one. So for those who don't know, and everyone who listens to this show should know, and if you don't know, shame on you. That is, That's of course, the Enterprise, right? The Enterprise's number, yeah. Okay, 
Next up, we have session three, Honky Tonk Woman. Again, a reference directly to a song, in this case, a Rolling Stones song. The Rolling Stones are kind of the inspirational rock band for this entire series. There are a number of things in this series that make reference to the Rolling Stones. And I think it was really appropriate that we were doing this because Charlie Watts, the longtime drummer of the band, just passed away not long ago before at the time we're recording this. Honky Tonk Woman, though. This one's about Poker Alice. Yep. (laughs) Who's Poker Alice? She's a famous lady from a history of the Western U.S., famous for being kind of a rough and tumble gambling gal who got herself into a fair bit of trouble and and is the basis of our of our new favorite ally on the bebop Faye Valentine. Faye Valentine. Okay. Books could be written about this character. Can we just use yeah. use this episode to do a full spin-off on Faye because to be honest I can't remember which vignettes go with which episodes. But I just want to start with her pulling the can of dog food out of the refrigerator and eating oh. the dog food in front of Ayn. And Ayn is like giving her the puppy dog eyes. And she's like, what are you looking at? Kind of thing. But I like, was like, bitch. <laughs> yeah, so she's mad just, at her. <laughs> she's a really interesting, you know, she's, of course, this hyper feminine, hyper sexualized character. And to be fair, it seems like all all of the main characters are drawn this way. The men are also drawn to be hyper-masculine, hyper-sexualized, like huge shoulders, like shoulders that are twice as wide as human shoulders. <laughs> and, <laughs> and still like, you know, like huge pecs, tiny waist, like the men are also overdrawn. So I'm not mm. singling this out as, you know, all about sexualizing the women, but it's interesting that Faye gets to be this, like she's drawn as a perfect dainty woman and then act like an asshole just <laughs> just all over the place and is she yeah. really dainty though i don't know she's know. drawn like one i mean she's yeah drawn okay with these she can't help it she's and, drawn that way yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> total jessica rabbit move um, <laughs> oh totally yeah as long as we're going off on pop culture tangents that scene that you mentioned reminded me of the film dogs in space Again, the punk part of punk rock, not to mention space and dogs, um, but in particular, the scene where they eat dog food in that because, and we knew people, Rosie and I knew people who couldn't afford food and ate dog food, you know, back in the day um, in some of the punk rock houses. And and there's even an Iggy Pop song, yeah, we're living on dog food. You know, and that's in the in the movie Dogs in Space and stuff like that. And I flash back to that is in that scene. It's like, you know, either I can feed the dog or I can eat the dog food. You know, and she chose to eat the dog food. It's also an example of how, just like Guardians of the Galaxy, just like Firefly, this is a group of bounty hunters that are living hand to mouth and like they'll take any job to put food on the table. Going on to the next episode, Gateway Shuffle, which I believe is probably another reference to the Stones to the song Harlem Shuffle. Mm-hmm. It's worth paying attention to, if you're watching the dubs, the names of the voice actors, because in a lot of cases, um, these anime voice acting jobs are non-union. And so SAG actors do them under pseudonyms. 
and the pseudonyms can be hilarious. Like this one, one of the uh, voice actors was John Smallberries, which <laughs> is a reference to Buckaroo Bonsai. Hilarious. Uh, there, there are some others too. And like almost every episode, someone has some crazy pseudonym. This one is about eco-terrorism. Okay, so let's talk for a second about Japan is one of the big whaling nations. And so at the time in the 90s, the um, what are those anti-whaling groups that got really big around that time? Oh, um, yeah. They were all like, save the whales. The, the Sea Shepherd. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, I think that this is a direct reference to that. Like even their logos and stuff like that, but instead they're uh, they're trying to save the Ganymede sea rats. So you have this matriarch. What's her name? They just call her mom. Um, Was it Maria Murdoch? Yeah, Maria Murdoch. Okay. Yeah, and her sons, which I don't know if they were literally her sons or if they were just she called them her sons. I don't know, but they plan to release a a pathogen that will turn people into monkeys basically or whatever. I have a very loose tangential thought, which is not going to be helpful at all, but <laughs> um, this, the character, the way this character is drawn and the way she acts, um, Maria reminded me a lot of Gina McKee's character in the Borgias, who also plays like a tigress warrior woman who's like a military strategist or, and it's just, the way this character is drawn is uncannily like Gina McKee. Anyway, sorry, that's, as I said, an entirely unhelpful tangent. <laughs> but I thought she was really compelling. You know, I, again, kind of wanted to see, see them stick around. I like, what I like about this uh, series is how completely different all these bounties are they have like a really why so like it started out with the drug dealing and then there was like the genetic pet theft and then the gambling stuff with um with Faye and that introduced Faye and now we've got this whole eco-terrorism thing in this one let's move on to number five which is Ballad of Fallen Angels this is my least favorite episode of the first batch here. This is what I like to call the goth episode. <laughs> that makes so much sense to me. This the, is the one with like, the flashbacks to the red rose on the yep. like black and gray pavement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so this is shootout in the cathedral. Yeah. 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 It's, it was very reminiscent of like the crow sequels where it's mm -hmm. like, it's all style. And the plot is like, what the hell? What, what was that supposed to be about? You know? Oh, The Crow. Um, that movie was so played out back in the day. And like, at, you go to the warehouse, like every guy was dressed like him. Well, and the then first, Halloween, every guy was dressed like him. The first one <laughs> was pretty decent, but the sequels were terrible. Mm -hmm. The sequels looked gorgeous. They looked amazing. Like City of Angels, The Crow City of Angels looks so good in every single frame of it is gorgeous and it's completely nonsense it makes no sense it, it, it's like one of the worst movies i've ever seen like you cannot make sense of it and i felt like 
Ballad of Fallen Angels here has a little bit of that atmosphere going on. Does anyone have a handle on the plot of this one? Obviously, it deals a lot with the background of Spike, but the conflict between Vicious and Spike is never really quite clear in this episode. No, but they have a history together. Um, they were comrades back in the day. But he Vicious basically abducted Faye, and then Spike was like, you know, trying to save her and they had to shoot out in a cathedral. That's the ultimate cliff notes version of it. But I can totally see what you're talking about where it does remind me of movies like the crow and things like that. Cause it was very dark and it was rainy and very dramatic. And yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to cop to being so distracted by the style that I think I even lost the desire to find out what was going on. <laughs> I, I got the general gist of like, Oh, they've got some twisted past and this is gonna, you know, come back to haunt him again and again, kind of thing. Um, but then I was very distracted by the, the roses. I'm just gonna admit that. Okay. When we talk more about Spike's background later on in the series, we can revisit this a little bit. But for now, let's call it a day and mm -hmm. um, wrap up here. I want to remind everybody to like and subscribe. And right now, we're still not asking for donations or anything like that. We have no sponsors. If you want to support the show, the one way you can do it is get somebody else to listen to it. If you can bring mm -hmm. on board one other fan, that would be great. Until next time, this is Eric. This is Rosie. This is Johanna. Signing off. She looks like a news reporter from 1997. She doesn't even, like, look anything like Faye. Not at all, well, except for her I hair, maybe. Well, I think she's got the attitude. I, yeah. I actually think that her, her press uh, interview... Uh, in her bathrobe or, or whatever with the wet hair it shows the fuck you attitude that this character needs. So exactly. Exactly. She's going to be great.